Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, what is uh, what is your relationship with the moon? I howl at it. Yeah? Don't you? Well, no. I, maybe I should. Maybe it would be good to, to get in touch with my, my primal self. Whenever, when you see a full moon, you just ever scream up at the sky, La Luna! And then start howling? No, I guess when I see the uh, see the full moon, I, I my head just runs with some of those... Uh, uh, you know, illogical theories about the moon making everyone crazier and, uh, uh, and bringing out the terror. The Teen Wolves? Well, possibly the Teen Wolves. Yeah. yeah. Pre- oh, pregnant ladies going to labor, yeah. teenagers turning into wolves. Oh, it's, it's weird. I don't actually buy into any the supernatural uh, ideas about the influence of the, of the moon over human behavior, mm-hmm. but I still kind of buy into it at a almost subconscious level like i end up it ends up uh moving around in the back of my mind anytime i see a full moon well i think it's because it's one of those really primal things where you're, that relationship where you look up and you're like mm-hmm. wow it's just it's you know this big luminous light in the night sky and you know our ancestors thought a lot about it and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that but um we were kind of looking at this topic the moon and thinking of it in terms of of a corporation, you know, we're, we're earth Inc. Yeah. And we've got that moon. It's one of our subsidiaries (laughs) because we're jerks like that. Right. Yeah. We we think that we are just the center of everything. And so we're looking at all of our assets here in, in the Milky way and saying, you know, what can we do here to increase our earthly profits? And of course we set our sights on that glowing orb in the night sky. I was fixing to say, I hope you're not thinking of letting the moon go. No, because no. it's it's a very important subsidiary. If we're as we're going to discuss, it's it's not just a it's it, we're not we're not losing money on this investment. This, the, the no, moon no, is no. totally delivering. It's more like how could we make the moon more productive for us, and what sort of resources and outputs could we nudge from it, right? Hmm. And and we can talk more about we can kind of review its resume here in okay. a minute and kind of see what it's been doing for us, and then maybe what else it could uh, produce for it, but. Let's talk about this uh, idea that the moon is really our companion in orbit. Well, first of all, where did the moon come from, right? What's the, the origin story on the moon? Well, the leading origin theory right now is that a Mars-sized body collided with Earth approximately 4.5 billion years ago, and then the resulting debris from both the Earth and this uh, alien sphere mm-hmm. accumulated All right, to form this uh, big molten moon, which... Uh, um, over the course of time, cools down. Um, most of the the magma ocean crystallizes, with the less dense rocks floating upward and eventually forming the lunar crust. Okay, so essentially, like a big glob of the Earth came off and then combined with other materials out there to form the Moon. Right. Yeah, and the Earth is unique among terrestrial planets in having a large satellite, this Moon, which relative to the Earth has the largest mass of any satellite parent system. And this is really important because we'll, we'll talk about this relationship between the moon and the earth, but it has really set us up for success here on this planet. Because as a result of, of it orbiting around us and uh, it coming, its materials coming from the earth, uh, the subsequent evolution of the earth and the emergence and development of life has been strongly influenced by the presence of the moon. 
But certainly it's not the only moon in our solar system. Uh, uh, Jupiter has a number of moons, yes. but, but none of the Jovian moons, even though uh, several of them are in, incredibly fascinating mm-hmm. and important uh, to our, under, our, our evolving understanding of, uh, of the cosmos, they're not as essential uh, in their relationship with their host planet. And, uh, and, and that's really, uh, to your point, the remarkable thing about our moon is that it's a very important subsidiary. It is. And of course the sun is as well, mm-hmm. but we're not discussing the sun today. And the sun, pff, talk about egos and this yeah. corporate structure. The sun is pretty big there. Um, but you know, we often overlook the moon and let's take out the, the, uh, resume of the moon because there's some really very powerful stuff here. A stabilizing factor for the axis of rotation of the earth, basically ensuring that the difference in heating between the poles of the earth and the equator is sufficient to promote a healthy and diverse range of climates without veering off into one extreme or another. So if you look at Mars, for instance, and you see that that rotational axis has um, changed and spanned from 13 to 40 degrees over the last 10 to 20 million years, this causes really unpredictable swings and fluctuations of climate. And this instability, of course, is not good for life, right? So the moon basically brings a lot of uh, stability. In fact, you could say, as a, as a in a corporation kind of speak, it brings a a a culture of stability to the overall um, Earth environment. Exactly, it is a stabilizing force. In hippie speak, it is our big satellite of love out there. <laughs> now, the other big area, of course, is its uh, its impact on the tides, and this is something yeah. that we've uh, creates tidal patterns. It uh, promotes the uh, the alteration and the migration of organisms from one environment to the other. It, I mean, just the remarkable aspect of the tides to both uh, reveal and then. Uh, and then flood areas, you know, creating mm-hmm. these uh, the, these transient areas uh, for life to flourish in is, is pretty remarkable in and of itself. Right. It's basically seeding life. Yes. Spreading it over the planet. Now, as I look at the moon's resume, I see a third point here, a third bullet point, and it's pretty huge. Um, it says it helped to establish a 28-day period of observable differences in light emittance establishing a reliable rhythm for early humans to create complex systems by which to pin the concept of time to. And uh, it says, My existence, ability to reflect the sun's light, and orbit help to create conceptual calendar systems, seasons, best agriculture practices, not to mention greatly influencing navigation, explorations, and mythology, including the one about the moon being made out of cheese. (laughs) Yeah, you really can't overstate the importance of the moon for... uh just our basic understanding of, uh, of celestial mechanics, of, uh, of our, even our earliest stages of beginning to understand uh, the, the cycles in our immediate universe. I was actually reading a little bit about uh, eclipses the other week. Mm-hmm. You know, especially I was interested in, uh, in, in ancient Indian ideas of eclipse as well as, as ancient uh, Indian uh, astronomy. Uh, because you see this, you, you know, this sort of, uh, on one hand, you have uh, religious and, and mythic ideas of what's going on with an eclipse is perhaps the decapitated head of a fallen Ashura trying to consume uh, the mm. sun and or, or the yeah. moon. Um, well, there's that idea. But then also you had um, early uh, Indian astronomers who were really figuring out exactly how eclipses worked and uh, and, and exactly how the sun and the moon and the earth are are, are, are playing with each other in these uh, in these uh, amazing phenomena. Yeah, so you have all of these um, this mythologies, these narratives that are just rich tapestries of different mm-hmm. cultures. And then you have something like the Farmer's Almanac, which is at a very basic level just this 
this uh, sort of like, hey, this is how you grow your crops the best way. But it is absolutely dedicated to the moon, this almanac. Yeah, because you have all these different cycles of the moon and, uh, and all the, not, not only, I mean, you get into all the weird moons too, because there's, there's the, there are the, the basic, you know, full moon, half moon, et cetera. But then you get into, yeah, then you get into all these like strangely colored moons and the different harvests, mm-hmm. uh, you know, letting you know it, uh, if a sailor should take warning or not. We, we just get really rich in our attempts to just almost psychoanalyze, uh, what the moon is doing and what the moon is trying to do, uh, to the planet. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about harnessing the energy of the moon, changing some of its duties. All right, we're back. We are reviewing the moon. We're reviewing its potential to the uh, the Earth Corporation, uh, all the stuff that it is doing already, but also the places in its schedule where we could uh, conceivably insert more duties, more work to make us a, an overall stronger company. Yeah, I was just looking at the review that Earth Inc. handed down, and it says the candidate has proven over billions of years to be a stabilizing influence for the foreseeable future, at least for the next two billion years. Candidate is expected to continue supporting efforts to maintain life on Earth in a fairly consistent manner. As a result, candidate may have extra time and resources to offer Earth. Yeah, we get into this area of things that we have done to the moon, things that we are doing to the moon, and things that we would like to do to the moon uh, to get more out of it. Now, of course, we've been through the phase of lunar exploration. Where yeah. We've, uh, we've sent, uh, sent machines there. We've sent men there. We put a flag on it. Yeah. We, uh, at, at one point, with Project A-119, uh, uh, this is pretty amazing. We actually considered detonating a nuclear weapon yeah. on the lunar surface in order to see how the mushroom cloud would expand and contract in a low-gravity setting. And even more interesting, uh, this was a United States Air Force uh, plan, by the mm-hmm. way, Cold War scheme. Uh, even more interesting, though, a young Carl Sagan was part of the project. Uh, the very man who would go on to uh, to champion nuclear disarmament and the dangers of nuclear winter. Uh, and he even tried to use his research from the project to acquire an academic fellowship possibly breaching natural uh, national security in the process. Wow. So, you know, you got to wonder if he tried to get involved in it so he'd be like, "Hey guys, this is a terrible idea. I know it shows the the, the sort of pyrotechnics mm-hmm. that we can, you know, put forth toward the Soviet Union and try to scare them during this cold <laughs> war, but really bad bad idea." I th- that think that's possible. Also, I can't help but 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 think it might be a situation where Sagan is thinking, that is a horrible idea, but if we're going to do it, it's pretty cool. So I, I would like to be a part of it. I mean, if someone's going to nuke the moon, then, it le- then at least let me get in on the science of it. Let's at least nuke it right, people. Yeah, and you know, I can't help but think about him in a turtleneck as a young man, and um, <laughs> now I'm thinking about him as a baby in a turtleneck, like he was born with the tor- turtleneck. Oh, like a baby Sagan, like a Muppet baby <clears throat> Sagan. Yeah. yeah. All right. That is completely irrelevant. Let's get back to this moon. How do we put it to work? Well... One of the big areas, of course, is can we get energy from the moon? That's uh, and there are a few different answers to that. But one of the, the 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 more readily available ideas here is we have the moon up there in orbit, mm-hmm. and it's exposed to a lot of sunlight. So could, reflecting that, we're just reflecting it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not really doing anything. It's just sunlight bouncing off the moon. But what if we could harness that energy, use the moon to harness sunlight, and then send it back to Earth? 
it's brilliant, right? Because mm-hmm. he, here on Earth, we're having problems with this, right? Like, how are we going to really service our future energy needs? And we do need to think about this in creative ways. So, someone came up with an extremely creative way to deal with this, and it's called a solar belt. And this was, uh, or this is a plan that is being championed by the Shimizu Corporation. And we're talking about installing on the surface of the moon via a massive 12 mile wide, 600 mile long lunar ring of solar panels. Yeah, it's pretty amazing looking. Essentially, you would look up into the night sky and, uh, on a, on a, on a good night when you could really see the moon, it, it would look like it's wearing a crazy disco belt because, the. <laughs> Because this, uh, this strip of uh, solar panels would go all the way around, uh, the equator. Mm-hmm. And it would, uh, and, and the idea here is that, uh, uh, you'd have uh, 13,000 terawatts of continuous energy sent to, to, from the moon to receiving stations around the earth. And then it's distributed to the, the power of, you know, to power the population, to power all the stuff that we have to charge up. And, uh, they think that we could uh, begin construction on this by 2035 if we if we really wanted it. Yeah, and the plan here, uh, in addition to this, is that um, the corporation can develop robots that will mine the moon's natural resources mm-hmm. uh, to produce the concrete and the solar cells, some of the materials that they're going to use there. So that gets into this whole idea of like, oh, that's right, the moon does have a couple of resources to mine, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the building material thing alone is interesting because, uh, because, uh, as, uh, as they point out, water can be produced by uh, reducing lunar soil with hydrogen that is imported from the earth. And then cementing material can also be extracted from the lunar source, resources. So suddenly you have concrete, you have bricks, mm-hmm. you have, you can essentially build yourself all the, the buildings and infrastructure you need right out of the, uh, the lunar surface. Right. You don't have to bring amazing. your Legos with you. The Legos are there essentially. Yeah. Of course, you're going to need machines to do that. And you're going to need machines to continue to care for what you've built because, uh, the, the moon is a pretty harsh and bombarded surface for a reason. So, right. uh, so you, if you build a massive disco belt, you're going to need not only the robots to build it, but the robots to maintain it and, uh, and, and deal with any of the, the holes that uh, emerge there over time. Indeed. Now, one of the things that NASA is working on is a little plan with private corporations because, as we know, they have a mandate not to spend any more money on the moon, right? right? So how are they doing this? Uh, they are working with Bigelow Aerospace to develop a commercial sector which uh, will be involved with them and is especially focused on plans to build a lunar base and mine the moon for helium-3 as well as rare earth metals. Yes, the helium-3, of course, is important, not because we need to fill up a bunch of balloons here on Earth, but because, uh, but mainly because helium-3 would play a vital role in nuclear fusion power. Mm-hmm. Uh, helium-3, just to remind everybody, has two protons but only one neutron, and when it's heated to really high temperatures and combined with Deuterium, which is uh, one of two stable isotopes of hydrogen, the reaction releases an incredible amount of energy. So just 2.2 pounds or one kilogram of helium-3 combined with 1.5 pounds or 0.67 kilograms of deuterium produces 19 megawatt years of energy. Roughly 25 tons of the stuff could power the United States for an entire year. That's nuts, right? Yeah. Uh, The other side of that is that the moon has tons of it, not so with Earth. Indeed, actually, there are 17 chemicals in the periodic table that are in increased demand because they are heavily used in everyday electronics. So if you look at that lunar soil, it is rich in these coveted rare earth elements. 
and the moon could provide those. So, again, it makes sense to kind of look at it and say, so you're up there, you're stabilizing us, thanks a lot, but we're not just going to step on you and, and take a peek at what some of your um, soil is composed of. We're actually going to put you to work here. Yeah, and the, really the great thing about it, about some of these plans we're discussing here is that ultimately the goal of NASA and sort of the, the goal of humanity's efforts in space, it's to, to get that foothold on the moon, mm-hmm. to explore Mars, to, to get to Mars, to, to get ro- more robots and, and hopefully people on Mars and then bring them back again. Uh, but to do that, you've got you've to build up and you've got to build out. And uh, what better way to get boots on the ground on or boots on the lunar ground uh, than to have there be a profit in the mix there, minerals, energy. Yeah, and uh, NASA's not just looking at the the actual moon itself, but also asteroids. And and we've talked about this before. A couple ideas about how to ensnare an asteroid. One because it could be a threat; it could be in orbit or right. Earth's orbit and coming right at us. Um, but in this scenario, NASA is looking at building a robotic spacecraft to grab a small asteroid and then place it in a higher lunar orbit, where they can kind of look at it a little bit more. The asteroid itself. And um, and then kind of dock it over on the moon. Yeah. Uh, after they like put a huge bag around it, I'm not kidding. This, these are the descriptors. Like we're going to take this giant bag and then bag it and haul it over to the moon, um, where they can mine the asteroids as well. Yeah, it's it's this is a great idea because in the same way that the the ultimate goal is to say explore the cosmos, get to Mars, etc. Yeah. The the larger goal here would be let's d- develop and perfect a, a way to deal with uh, near-Earth objects that pose a risk to our planet. Uh, but in the to, to get us there, well, let's harvest the asteroids. And, yeah. and, and in the process, we're also studying them. We're learning more about them. We're developing our means to catch them, and somebody can make a buck or two off of it. Yeah, and that's always Neil deGrasse Tyson's argument for going to the moon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, don't abandon it. This is a really great setup for us to try to figure out best practices elsewhere in the universe and also to have resources. Yeah, I was really thinking about uh, our, our past conversations with Neil uh, yesterday because I heard part of a, a Fresh Air interview with him mm-hmm. um, during a pledge drive for NPR yesterday, and I was thinking back to our conversations with him, and then I thought about our recent episodes about Future Shock, uh, and by the, the book by uh, Alvin Toffler, which uh, which really, of course, drives home the idea that, that no technology happens in a vacuum. When new technology comes around, it, it changes us. It changes culture. It changes the way we think about things and the way we think about ourselves and what and what we're going after. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Tyson seems to to really push that idea as well that that it's not just a it's not just about, oh, let's develop this rocket. It's in developing that rocket, other technologies spin off of it. It changes the, the mindset of the people who build it, the mindset of the culture responsible for exploration and innovation. Oh, gosh. I mean, half of Home Depot's items wouldn't exist without right. NASA if you think about it. The cordless drill, you know, did not come about because people were like, hey, it would be great if we had this cordless thing. It was really trying to figure out pragmatically how to do things. Um, in space and do them in a way that made sense. So, yeah, I mean, there's all these sort of benefits, these indirect benefits that flow out that you don't really have a grasp of what those are going to be until uh, mm-hmm. that technology is in place. Yeah, and with uh, a lot of these efforts, it's it's more about that. It feels like it's more of a definitely a dangled carrot as opposed to residual effects. Yeah. It's instead of like a bunch of little residual effects, it's saying, here's the big one. Look at all this energy to be gained. Well, let's get up there. 
Yeah, and any sort of moon mining, asteroid mining, of course you're going to have to, and we, we had a whole episode on this, but you're still going to have to consider space junk and the yes. removal of that. So in a way, this could be a boon to those concerns that people have that mining uh, the moon would just create more and more debris or stripping of resources as we have seen here on Earth. Uh, the actual pursuit of mining really does necessitate a, a pretty big degree of responsibility on our part. You know, uh, as we're reviewing the uh, moon's performance here, I, I, I do have one critique. I, I think the moon could dress it up a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, we do have a dress code here at Earth, Inc. Mm-hmm. Uh, could the, the moon lighten its appearance a bit? Hmm. Make itself a little more shiny in the night sky and thus a little more illuminating? You know what's crazy about that? is that when the moon is only like 95% of its full brightness, it appears to our eyes as being like half as bright. Hmm. So, I don't know. I think the moon, to play devil's advocate, might turn around to us and say, ah, but if you guys could just enhance your visual systems, you could see how hard I am working to be bright for you. Well, that's all well and good, but the the Forio Institute... They have another idea. Oh, of course yes. they do. And this is, this is, I, you know, I started looking at this. I was awfully skeptical because the idea is let's make the moon brighter so that there's more, so that our nights are brighter, that we can cut yeah. down on, on our energy usage uh, for street lamps and what have you. So, I mean, you think about natural sunlight streaming into your windows, yeah. right? And how you don't have to always put on the lights. Yeah, basically, th- this is d- directly from the, the, the Forio Institute's uh, pitch for this. They say the Fourier Institute has found an extremely smart and feasible solution that can deliver enormous results to address the global energy crisis. Nobody has ever considered that a small transformation of the moon face is possible by increasing the reflectivity of sunlight. Uh, that can uh, bring the equivalent of four extra nights of having a full moon. Combined with smart street lighting, sensors uh, are used to dim or completely power off lights when not needed. Uh, this will dramatically cut the world's energy consumption. And so the idea is you using materials already on the moon, mm-hmm. you just make uh, portions of the moon uh, more reflective, and overall the moon becomes brighter. Now that just makes me think that I have to get a really massive blackout shade. <laughs> Get like a serious one. Well, because you're thinking about, oh, if it's, I'm not going to be able to sleep. It's going to have an effect on my health, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, they they've thought of that. They they argue that it should not be an issue because uh, we would have a gradual process here. This would uh, this brightening of the moon would take place over 30 years, so you'd mm-hmm. have time to adjust. But they do admit that additional scientific studies are required. Likewise, uh, as far as the environment goes, they. Uh, state that because moonlight is 400,000 times less potent than sunlight, uh, there's going to be a neg- negligible impact on the environment, but research is ongoing. I'm shaking my head because i got to tell you, on the on full moon nights, I mean, besides the fact that I get, you know, tons of hair all over my face and mm-hmm. grow fangs, um, I, I do seem to wake more often and perceive that light. And maybe I'm just a really sensitive uh, sleeper, but that kind of drives me a little bit nuts. I feel like they need to do a little bit more research there. Yeah, I mean, well, there is certainly uh, tons of light pollution issues to, to wonder about here. Yeah. You have to wonder about the effects on all the uh, various animals that depend on the moonlight for, uh, for navigation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is interesting, though, that only they state that only 0.1% of the moon's surface, uh, a chunk about the size of Switzerland, would need to be transformed to reach 80% of the desired brightening effect. Well, that is impressive. Yeah. But again, we're talking about <laughs> billions of years of evolution in, in, in animals 
responding to the environment that has been, you know, fairly constant, right? Uh, so, okay. Well, it's it's an it's an incredible idea. They also have an electric toothbrush they're working on, by the way. I've visited their website. Um, so if you're not down with brightening the moon, then maybe uh, you would like to try out um, a fancy silicone electric toothbrush. To brighten your pearly whites. Yeah, I think they they funded both projects. But the, the toothbrush, I think, has a little more potential to hit the market uh, here. I feel like the toothbrush gets a lot of play out there in the corporate world. Because I remember that there, there was, uh, when we were looking at robots and machine um, creativity, that there was one program that created something like 800 designs for Oral B huh. to choose like the best design for the toothbrush. Really, are they that important? I mean, you know, they they don't change much. I mean, you just brush your teeth. Yeah, and it's not one of those things where it's like, all right, we've perfected the toothbrush and now we go out of business. Uh, you have to continually buy new toothbrushes or new parts for your toothbrush and then replace the electric after a while. But uh, I don't know. That's uh, I, I guess that's that's. If one were to analyze what uh, the Forio Institute is doing here, mm-hmm. you kind of feel like maybe they said, "All right, let's choose two projects that are going to get us a lot of it, a lot of attention. Uh, let's get get into this toothbrush business. Designers are going crazy. There's so many designs out there. If we can actually create a design that sets ourselves apart from uh-huh. the rest of the of everyone, then we're doing it. We've done a great job. And likewise, let's figure out something kind of crazy that people will overreact about. Let's talk about doing something to the moon." Yeah. Okay. I see that. Yeah. Let's, let's focus on this super industrial toothbrush complex. Oh, and the moon. Yeah. All right. So, what's your final uh, corporate uh, analysis here? What uh, What does the moon need to do to uh, to fit into the new corporate environment? I think it needs to think dynamically. Okay. I think that it really needs to show us that. Um, even though it doesn't have many resources other than its own right now, that it can provide to us a long-range plan in which it can really deliver an impact to the Earth, one that doesn't actually smash into us and obliterate us, but one that really enhances life here on Earth in a way that is fiscally responsible and in a way that I think lifts humanity to its highest degrees, um, you know, really just sort of feeding the better angels among us, uh, the better angels among us who are trying to gain more bandwidth, more energy, and, and really trying to bring the synergy to focus in a sort of singular point of light. All right, so there you have it. Some uh, some ideas for the moon, uh, ways that we can uh, we can take more advantage of its uh, positioning and uh, and take advantage of its energy potential. Uh, I do wonder. This is a question I like to toss out to um, our listeners. Imagine a time in the future, decades from now. Uh, does it does it frighten you? Does it terrorize you? Does it just kind of amuse you or excite you even to? To envision yourself looking up at the night sky and then turn uh, on a full moon and then turning to a young child and saying, I remember when the moon didn't look like that. Believe it or not, the moon hasn't always had a big shiny belt and it always has, it hasn't always been that bright. In this scenario, is the, the older human being and the young child, are they outfitted with jetpacks? Um, yes. That makes it different then. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, hey, you want to get in touch with us? You want to see what we're up to, see what uh, our latest podcast episodes are? Head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That is the mothership. That's where all the podcast episodes uh, are located. You uh, you won't find them all on iTunes. You won't find them uh, all on various other sites, but you will find them all 
at StuffToBlowYourMind.com, along with our blogs, our videos, links out to our social media accounts like Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Uh, also, our YouTube account, Mind Stuff Show. You'll find the link uh, there as well. And, Julie, how else can they uh, get in touch with us? All right, let's say uh, you guys have some thoughts you want to share with us about maybe the moon showing up in uh, culture, like songs, right? Yeah. Moon is I looked at my playlist the other day, and I had like 200 songs that contained moon in the title. Moon Shadow? Moon River. Nico Case's uh, moon song, I Wish I Was the Moon. Anyway, point is, you, you want to share your favorite moon song with us, or your moon thoughts. You know, you want to answer Robert's question about staring up at the moon 40 years from now and discussing it with a youngling. You can do so at BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.